Graveyard Coffee Talk. We're your hosts, Amanda and Corinne, and um, we're we're doing a fun episode that we didn't originally plan on, but that's why schedules are movable. Yeah, uh, this if you are a newsletter subscriber, you heard the issues we had uh, with the topic we decided ourselves. We have no one to blame but ourselves. We even discussed this. Multiple times. With each other and still failed. <laughs> um, but honestly, I'm really happy that it ended up this way. I think this episode is going to be a blast. It's going to be a trip. I had I had a lot of fun and I've got some rants locked and loaded. Yes. All right. So uh, for coffee today, I've got the Spiced Lavender Iced Latte from Synergos Coffee here in Louisville. And it is so good. It is so good. I needed coffee so bad right now. And it's finally sunny and warm and I can have an iced coffee and just live my life. I mean, I drink iced coffees year round, but that's because I'm millennial trash and I know this about myself. <laughs> uh, but today my coffee is not iced. In fact, it's a wee tiny little babby cappuccino. And it's their orange creamachino is what they call it. So it's like orange and cream and some honey. And I just had a sip of it. And it's really good. Awesome. And that is also from Synergos here in town. Yes. Uh, spoiler alert. We drive together when we get our coffee. And we have to coordinate because our tastes are so similar that we will frequently end up buying the same things. I mean, they know that if they've listened to previous episodes, Corinne. I, you know, they could have thought it was a fluke. Oh, no. No, we just have very similar tastes. No, we almost always will order the exact same thing. It's um, It's been happening for, God, more than a decade now. Yep. It's fine. It's fine. All right, so our Oh, our tarot. tarot. Our tarot card of the day. Um, So I was in a little bit of a rush today, and I actually have the Line Strider Tarot app on my phone, in addition to having the deck. So I just... I pulled a random card from the RNG on my phone. And today we have the Three of Swords, which is the card of heartbreak. It appears in times of sorrow, loss, or betrayal, which I think goes along well with what I'm going to be talking about today. Oh, interesting. So I'm here for that. Uh, it's also just, it's a very sad looking card. There's a couple of ravens that look like they've been quite stabbed by the Three Swords of the design. Poor babies. Um, so that makes me sad because I like burbs. I don't actually like burbs. They kind of creep me out. But I'm not, like, actively afraid of them like my sister. I love them. I don't know. Something my, – my, my little lizard hindbrain is just like, hmm, I don't like you. Well, they are dinosaurs. They are dinosaurs. So, yeah, that is our card for the day. Amanda, what are we talking about today now that we've made sure that we're on the same page for okay. once in our lives? So, continuing the theme of the past couple of episodes, talking about witchcraft and curses, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera – we are discussing specific witch figures in folklore. Yes. And I'm not going to lie. 
I'm actually a little upset with myself for how long it took me to come up with my topic for this episode. Oh? Because once I figured it out, I was like, well, duh, Amanda. Oh? You are in the South. Yes. And are covering American folklore. How could you not cover the Bell Witch? I don't think I know this. Buckle up. I am so here for this. Uh, so just so you guys know, because I care about you and more so because I care about Corinne not having to edit a two hour segment of just me, because <laughs> I wouldn't wish that on anyone. I have cut my notes down in half. I could do an entire limited podcast series on the Bell Witch and the theories surrounding it. People, if we ever start a Patreon, here you go. All right. So this story centers around the Bell family in Robertson County, Tennessee. Okay. The Bell family moved from North Carolina to Tennessee sometime in the early 1800s. I couldn't find an exact date. Mm -hmm. And honestly, by all accounts, they were a really, really happy family. Okay. At least to begin with. Uh Uh-oh. They had a substantial 328-acre farm. Okay. And again, this is the early 1800s. I mean, that would be a lot today, (laughs) but in the early 1800s, that was, you know, a pretty decent sized farm still. And the patriarch of the family, John Bell Sr., was an elder of the Red River Baptist Church when our story starts. Cool, cool, cool. And our story starts in 1817 Mm -hmm. when John Bell Sr. was inspecting a cornfield on his property. And like, it is always corn. In American folklore, isn't it? There's some really interesting parallels to that that one day we will dig into. But now is not the time. But (laughs) this is what happens when half of your folklore education comes from spending too much time following folklorists on Tumblr. I know exactly who you're talking about. Um, But like, seriously, why can't something start in a patch of dandelions? It is always a (laughs) cornfield. Why is it corn? Why is it always corn? Exactly. So, again, he's out inspecting the cornfield, and he saw something bizarre. Okay. Per his own recollection and statements later, the animal had the body of a dog and the head of a rabbit. Mm, Okay. So, like any good early 1800s God-fearing farmer would do, he shot at it several times. I mean, I don't blame him. I feel like that would be my impulse, too, if I had a firearm. Yes, but also, like, we as humans have bred some really, really messed up looking dogs, so (laughs) I wouldn't automatically assume that something with a dog body wasn't a dog, (laughs) personally. Uh, He, you know, again, he shot at it several times. He's pretty sure he hit, but instead of running away or falling down, the entity just vanished. Okay. And here's where I question Mr. Bell's assessment of the situation, because he decides that this abomination manifesting in his cornfield is nothing to be concerned about since it vanished. Mm. Yeah, it just left. So, like, I guess I'll go back home for dinner. It's fine. Everything's fine. Yeah. I mean, uh, hey, if the demon vanished, it can't ruin the corn. So Mm -hmm. (laughs) everything's great. Um. That evening, though, he did start to change his mind and started to think that the sighting might be related to something more sinister, 
when the entire family started hearing banging on the walls of the house. Oh, I hate that. As if several someones outside were trying to break the walls down. Hey, Amanda. Yeah. I hate this already. Oh, you're going to really hate this. Damn it. This is tailor-made for your nightmares. Oh, thanks. I do what I can. Oh, I'm so glad we're friends. Uh-huh. Uh, and when Bell and his sons went outside to investigate, there was no sign of any animal, human, non-human, nothing. Hate that. The sounds continued and escalated over the coming nights, with the bangs on the walls getting louder. And then the children began talking about the sounds of rats gnawing on their bedposts at night. Their pillows being thrown around the room when they tried to lay their heads down. Okay. Which, rude. Yeah. And their bed covers being pulled off when they were falling asleep. Okay, that's just mean. I know. Like, technically, you don't need a pillow. It's better for spinal alignment, but whatever. Exactly. So, a few weeks... I can speak words. A few weeks went by with these regular disturbances, and then it got worse. Oh. You're welcome. Oh. I knew you'd say that then. That's why I said you're welcome in my notes. Oh, Jesus. I'm a nice friend. Sure, yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm sending you my next therapy bill. <laughs> Please don't. American healthcare sucks. <laughs> um, at that point, the family began to hear whispering voices. Mm-hmm. And at this time, they couldn't really make out individual words that much. Mm-hmm. But per the family, the whispering started to sound like one voice hate that. And it started to sound like a feeble elderly woman singing hymns. That's so fucking creepy. <laughs> yeah. That's oh. like intentionally terrifying. The only thing that could be worse is like little kids singing nursery rhymes and that kind of off-key sing-song that little kids do that they use in a lot of horror trailers. Yeah, there's a reason it works for those trailers. Yeah, I know. That's why I hate it. Yeah. I'm I'm hiding behind my hair right now. And then it got even worse. No! (laughs) Uh, The daughter, Betsy Bell, was apparently... name. Oh my God. I'm sorry. I got distracted. (laughs) That's a terrible name. I mean, the Bell family were landowners in Tennessee in the early 1800s. I'm naming my next warlock in D&D, Betsy Bell. Do it. Uh, I hate it. There's a lot to hate this family for. Oh, for sure, for sure. But that name is abominable. Sorry, go on. Yes. Uh, But she was apparently public enemy number one for the spirit for a couple of months. Okay. She reported getting her hair pulled, her face slapped. Regular pinches and punches across her body that left visible welts. Oh. And so at this point, Mr. Bell decided to confide in family friend James Johnson. Okay. Uh, And those of you who look this up, it is spelled Johnston, but it is pronounced with the traditional Scottish Scottish pronunciation. So it is Johnson. And you'll see in some contemporary accounts, uh, people spell it as the traditional Johnson surname without the T. That is also incorrect. Um, Corinne, feel free to cut that aside out. But no, I think it's fascinating. Uh, I sometimes go down rabbit holes when I do my research. Hmm. (laughs) 
Uh, I never do that. Right? The Johnson family were the closest neighbors to the Bells. And at first, Mr. Johnson was like, uh, are you sure it's not your kids playing jokes on you? Yeah. Yeah. Because, you know, at this point, Betsy was the only one getting really physically harmed. The kids were the only ones experiencing things like their pillows being thrown. Yeah. The whole family was hearing the voices, or cool. at, at this point, the voice. But, again. Had they recently had gas installed in their home? Because that's my first thought. <laughs> well, I have theories that okay. I'll get to. Um, and, you know, that's honestly a completely fair idea for Mr. Johnson to have. Yeah. Um, doesn't explain the rabbit dog. Nope. But, you know, fair. And Mr. Bell was like, uh, excuse you, no, this is real. This is really happening to my family. And if you don't believe me, you and your wife can stay the night here and experience things for yourself. And Mr. Johnson was like, fine, I don't think your kids are going to play pranks on me and my wife. So we will. (laughs) And uh, I think Betsy was the happiest she's ever been because she was finally left alone the night that the Johnson stayed over. As the entity decided to slap Mr. Johnson and pull the covers off of him and his wife. That's just rude. So at that point, Mr. Johnson was a believer because he figured he'd have been able to see the kids pulling blankets off of him. And the slaps did not feel like they came from... Tiny child hands? Well, either child hands or feeble woman hands because Betsy wasn't that young. I have tiny child hands and I'm a grown woman. (laughs) And uh, Mr. Johnson told the Bells the next morning that he believed they were dealing with, quote, an evil spirit, the kind that the Bible talks about. Very Baptist of him. Very Baptist of him. And uh, here is where I have to point out that Mr. Johnson was illiterate. So I'm not sure how much of the Bible he really knew. You know what? There is a huge tradition of memorizing scripture in a lot of Protestant groups just because we're Catholics and we don't have to memorize the Bible. No, the Pope will tell us what yeah. we need to know. It's fine. So I would, you know, he probably knows the by the Bible. The Bible. <laughs> he knows the Bible better than me. I mean, most people in the early 1800s know the Bible better than I do. Yeah, for sure. Just saying. Yeah. After the encounter with the Johnsons, the entity's voice became more distinct. I hate that. And it was, in fact, the voice of a feeble old woman. Super hate that. The voice began singing hymns quoting scripture, and carrying on full, intelligent conversations with the Bell family. I really fucking hate that. Yeah. At one point, the entity quoted word for word two sermons that were preached that day 13 miles apart from each other at the same time. Mm-hmm. I hate it. But it doesn't seems to be a very biblically minded spirit, maybe... I, again, there are some theories that we'll get to later mm-hmm. about what might have caused this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and unsurprisingly, word of the haunting started spreading around the area because if there's anything humans want, it's a good ghost story. Oh, for sure. And we didn't have Netflix at the time. We didn't have podcasts at the time. I mean, I'm going to tell you a creepy story about the Bell family. Podcasts are just an extension of the oral storytelling tradition, in my personal opinion, but... Agreed. There we go. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> it is so. Uh, 
And uh, the most famous person, at least the most famous contemporary to Mm -hmm. hear about this. Okay. Why, none other than Mr. Bell's former commander at the Battle of New Orleans in the War of 1812, future President Andrew Jackson himself. Fucking bloody Andrew Jackson? Yep. Oh, shit, man. Yeah. Oh, shit. Okay. Jackson heard about the Bell House phenomenon in 1819, two Mm -hmm. years after it began. So just imagine... I'd fucking move. Two years of dealing. How do you just move away from a 328-acre farm? Land's cursed. You gotta fucking move. <laughs> um, it, I mean, yes, but also capitalism I mean, doesn't give a flying fuck about your ghost problem. You need to make money. I, I understand that, but at the same time, no. Mm-mm. Nope. Yeah. I, they, need to get a pre- they need to get a Catholic priest all up in that bitch. It might be hard to find one. It is Tennessee. You you can tell the Southern Baptist elder to go and get a Catholic priest up in his house, and he'll tell you, I'm sorry, the spirit is a better choice. (laughs) Just saying, I feel like Catholics have a lockdown when it comes to exorcisms. I don't disagree. But... (coughs) Excuse me, I just choked on my coffee. I mean, please don't. We're good. I need to know what your segment's on. <laughs> you have my nose. It'll be fine. <laughs> oh, sure. Um, so, of course, hearing about his former subordinate's trouble probably gave Jackson the warm fuzzy since the man was a monster. <laughs> I'm good. But it's fine. Uh, so Andrew Jackson decided to bring an entourage to Tennessee to see what was up. Like you do. So just as they approached the Bell's property, his entourage's horses got stuck in a muddy embankment. Oh, buddies. And after, I've seen estimates from as little as like three minutes to as much as an hour trying to get these horses out. And I'm sure the story has changed a million times over the years. But after a while of trying to free the horses, Jackson joked, quote, by the eternal boys, it must be the bell witch. Oh, my God. And started laughing. Sounds about right. The laugh was cut short. As the disembodied voice of the entity suddenly told the group that they could proceed and she looked forward to seeing them all at dinner. Fuck no. The horses immediately were able to move forward. I hate this. Mm-hmm. Corinne, I cut out so much. Great. Like, I'm not going to talk outside of this little aside here about the bell children being turned into mules every once in a while when the witch was angry with them. Like you fucking do. I mean, Call you back know. to La Llorona. La Llorona. I'm wondering if this story might have influenced Pinocchio at any point, at least the yeah, disney version. Yeah, 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 yeah. Just saying. Gonna take a sip of my coffee now because... Coffee. Coffee. So Jackson and his men decided to set up tents in... The field? Uh, the field just outside of the house. Because mm-hmm. none of them particularly felt comfortable sleeping inside after Fucking that. Cowards. And that evening, as the crew was exchanging war stories and generally hanging out and laughing, one member of the entourage, and I could not find his name anywhere, hmm. pulled out a gun Great. and told everyone that he was a witch tamer. And his oh. gun had a magic silver bullet that could kill any spirit. And oh. that's why nothing would happen to them since they set up camp. Because clearly the spirit was afraid of such a big, strong man. I could make so many jokes. <laughs> but we already got an explicit rating and I don't want to make it worse. 
Um, and, you know, or maybe the spirit isn't afraid. Because immediately after saying that, the man began screaming and, like, contorting his body and jumping around saying that he was being stuck with pins and was being beaten by something. Mm. And, like, at this point, I am on the side of the entity. Yeah, like, I don't feel a lot of sympathy deep in my soul for this man. At all. No. At all. Really, in this story, the only person that I feel sympathy for the whole way through is Betsy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'll get to why. Uh, The voice, the entity's voice then spoke up saying that there were several frauds in Jackson's entourage (laughs) and she would identify the next one the following evening. Mm, I GTFO, (laughs) y'all. So it's unclear how long it took the group to decide to leave. There are some accounts that Jackson was arguing vehemently with his group saying, I want to know who the next fraud is. (laughs) We need to stay because if this witch is going to help me root out the frauds in my group, I think it's fantastic. Um, So again, not clear how long exactly it took them to decide to leave, but they were sighted in a nearby town the very next morning. You know... I don't blame them. Mm-hmm. And it is alleged that Jackson himself said, quote, I would rather fight all the British at New Orleans than fight the Bell Witch. And, well. You know, obviously we don't have any way to confirm that he said that, but like I want to believe. Mostly because anything that makes Andrew Jackson sleep poorly at night is It warms my heart. It's just the warm and fuzzies. I, I have warm fuzzy feel. I'm terrified, but I also have warm fuzzy feelings. It's a very strange, conflicted response. Same. That same year, Betsy became engaged to a nearby young man, Joshua Gardner. Okay. Uh, the entity was not happy about this. It Hot became blocker. increasingly irritated with her, repeatedly telling her that she was under no circumstances to marry Joshua Gardner. They couldn't even walk around the property for some quick alone time without the entity messing with them, yelling at them, pinching them, punching them in the face, kicking them in the butt, splashing river up, river water up on them, et cetera, et cetera, which is like, just let the girl be happy. Oh, that's bitchy. Bell witch, that's bitchy. Agreed. And as the haunting continued, John Bell's health began to deteriorate pretty rapidly. Yeah, well, the man's not getting any fucking sleep because they've got ghosts singing songs to them. I'm just imagining the the gif. I didn't get no sleep because of y'all. <laughs> I'm gonna get no sleep because of me. Yep. Um, but right after the haunting started... Bell began experiencing muscle twitches and difficulty swallowing, and that got progressively worse. By the fall of 1820, he was completely housebound, which was not great, considering his house was fucking haunted as shit. Hello, haunted. Uh, the entity would whisper to him at all hours of the day and night that she was going to kill him. Jeez. Every time one of his numerous seizures ended, she would start slapping him. And when he did try to get out of bed, she would pull his shoes off his feet before he could stand up. It's because no one should wear shoes anyway. (laughs) Says the girl from Kentucky. I was about to say, they're in Tennessee, not Kentucky. It's fine. And um, 
This all culminated in the morning of December 20th, 1820, when old Jack Bell, as the entity called him, shuffled off his mortal coil. Aww. Uh, immediately following his final breath, the entity told the family to look in the cupboard. There, they found a vial and dropper filled with a viscous black liquid. Mmm, hate that. And uh, for some reason at this point, John Jr. decided to put some drops of the mystery liquid on the cat's tongue. No! I know! Again, the only person I feel sympathy for at this point is Betsy. No, we don't hurt kitty cats. Agreed. Um, And to no one's shock, the cat died two minutes later. Oh, kitty. Uh, He then threw the vial into the fire in the fireplace where it exploded into blue flames. Getting rid of evidence is not a good thing to do. Agreed. But, I mean, this is pre-Sherlock Holmes. No one knew that. That's a lie. People people were investigating crimes yeah. prior to Sherlock Holmes. Uh, disclaimer. Yeah. We, we do know our history. We're a not, little bit. We're not entirely hopeless. Not in this way. Well. Um, as the cat died, the family heard the entity start laughing and... As she stated, quote, I gave old Jack a big dose of this last night, which fixed him. And like, super classy thing to say to a grieving family. A plus empathy there, entity. Oh, that's, I don't like it. At Belle's funeral, uh, when the mourners were, you know, it was the end of the service. He had just been laid to rest in the ground. The mourners were starting to leave the graveyard. The entity could be heard Singing a drinking song. (laughs) Slurring her words as if drunk on her own ectoplasmic cocktail. And she didn't stop until every last person was gone. I I now have Patty Murphy stuck in my head because that's (laughs) immediately what I thought of. It was apparently some drinking song about Brandy. So not Patty Murphy. Yeah. That's 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 a shame. So, due to the stress of the continued haunting and her father's death, Betsy broke off her engagement on Easter Monday, 1821. All right. Shortly after she broke off the engagement, the entity showed itself to John Bell's widow and told her that it was leaving now, but would return in seven years. Hmm, hate that. Right? As promised, the entity showed back up in 1828 and honestly was a pretty mollified spirit at this point. As opposed to pinching and poking and banging on walls and pulling people's blankets off and just all manner of horrific things, she had super long conversations with Johnny Jr. about Christianity, philosophy, politics, and the need for a great, quote, spiritual awakening in the United States. Ah, yes, we are at the beginning of the Second Enlightenment. Okay. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Hmm. She also made a few predictions that some people who study this case extensively think referred to the civil war um but i've also read statements that like all of those predictions if they were about the civil war were completely wrong cool so not sure how much weight you can give that and after three weeks of having these lovely parlor chats uh she disappeared again promising to visit again in 107 years because why not yeah Uh, There are debates about whether or not her 1935 visit actually happened. Um, Again, I don't want Corinne to be stuck editing a, you know, two hour segment of mine. 
So let's move on to the important thing here, which is who was the Bell Witch? Mm. And there are a few theories here. All right. All right. So the most popular theory and the one that shows up in a lot of pop culture, you know, any horror movies based on the Bell Witch Mm -hmm. goes this route, was that the entity was the spirit of Bell's neighbor, Kate Batts. Okay. The story goes that Belle swindled Kate and her husband on a land deal, and on her deathbed, she vowed that she would curse old Jack. Good for her. And, you know, that sort of tracks. They did go to the same church together. That would explain why the entity was so religious, Mm -hmm. even while doing these horrific things. Um, But I'm not super convinced by this one. Okay. All right. So there was a dispute between John Bell and Kate's husband, Benjamin Batts, in 1818, just prior to the haunting starting. Okay. But it wasn't about land sales. Oh. It was because they were landowners in Tennessee in 1818 Mm. about the price of an enslaved person. Yike. Okay. Very yike. And it was actually determined by the church that they went to. Uh, that. that Mr. Bell did hoodwink Mr. Bats in the transaction, leading to Bell's excommunication huh. from a church he was an elder in. All right. So, you know, the contemporaries did believe that, yes, he absolutely cheated mm. the Batses. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, with this, the dispute started with Kate's husband. There are no contemporary stories linking Kate to this at all. And so that's where your your doubt is coming from. Yeah. Essentially. And I feel like excommunication in the eyes of this community would have been considered punishment enough Mm -hmm. um, because that's not only cutting you off from the community around you, that's cutting you off from God. Yeah. So (laughs) you've just been cut off from salvation as well as the entire community that you've been relying on for support exactly especially for a family who moved to tennessee with no support networks Mm -hmm. Um, another theory and this one i kind of believe for everything that happened to betsy after her engagement brings us to sleazeball extraordinaire professor richard powell got it okay powell was betsy and her fiance joshua's former school teacher Awesome. He was a well-known student of the occult. Okay. Mathematics, horticulture, geology, uh, geology, and ventriloquism. I hate it. Yeah. So let's uh, focus on that last one there. Yeah. Ventriloquism. According to contemporary accounts, Powell expressed his extreme distaste for the engagement when uh, Betsy and Joshua announced it. And had shown some less than appropriate attention to Betsy when he was her teacher. Oh, gross. Oh. Yeah. Yike. So I I have no trouble believing that the voice Betsy heard in the garden or near the cave or river was mm-hmm. a very spiteful pal trying to end the engagement. And yeah. he like threw rocks and splashed river water up on her. Yeah. Uh, so again, this doesn't really explain the rest of the hauntings. Yeah, no. But uh, creeps are opportunistic. If he heard about the haunting, which everyone in the area had heard about the haunting, and he decided that it was just awful that someone that he considered his was going to find happiness mm. in an age-appropriate relationship, I I could see that. Aww. I hate it, yeah. but I 
think that's the most logical explanation. Um, another explanation that I could kind of see is corn uh, gets this mold on it. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. That can cause hallucinations. Makes you go fucking crazy. And there was a lot of corn on the Bell farm. Mm-hmm. And again, you remember that it was in a cornfield yeah. where Bell okay. first saw I knew the it could affect entity. like rye and barley. I didn't realize it could also affect corn. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, so that's another theory. And then how Bell died. Uh, there is actually a really interesting theory that I just stumbled across this morning. And so I'm going to have to end up adding it into these notes tonight. But I wanted to touch on it here that Bell suffered from arsenic poisoning. Okay. So the neurological symptoms that are attributed to him around the time that the haunting started, you know, the muscle spasms, the seizures, the difficulty swallowing are all symptoms of mild mild chronic arsenic poisoning. Okay. So if he was getting regularly dosed Mm -hmm. with arsenic... That would explain. That would explain it. Arsenic was a very common poison at the time because it was really easy to access. Mm -hmm. And it's very effective at what it does. It is. Uh, The way that our bodies process arsenic goes through a cellular pathway that cats don't have. Which is why the cat died so suddenly from such a small dose. I'm still really sad about the cat. I know. I'm sorry. (laughs) And arsenic will burn blue. Interesting. I didn't know that. So a a current theory, not necessarily based on anything that we know about the bell haunting per se, uh, but based on what we know about the area is uh, arsenic poisoning was becoming an increasingly common way for enslaved peoples to... uh, take out their, the plantation owners, yeah. essentially. Um, so there is a school of thought that says that the enslaved people on the property were exacting some form of revenge. Were exacting some form of revenge and were behind all of the haunting. They were behind the voices. They were behind the gospel. They were behind... I kind of love that. And if that's the case, like, again... Man, I have been on the entity side. <laughs> yeah, I'm, a I'm, lot. I'm here for that. Uh, this story. So, you know, I I give a bit more credence to that theory and to the... Creepy teacher? Creepy teacher and to the fungus. Mm. And I, I genuinely think that some combination of the three plus, you know, the psychological toll that not being able to sleep. Yeah. For so many months on end. Plus you see your dad wasting away in in a way that you can't explain. Yeah. With your own knowledge base as your family has been cut off from the church support system you have. I can see where his family would also mm. buy into the haunting. For um, sure. That still doesn't explain the blankets being pulled off and the pillows being thrown. There's a really interesting correlation between poltergeist activity and teenagers in a household. Hmm. Like, I've seen passing mentions of that, and one of these days I will actually sit down and do some research on it, but just putting that out there. Okay. I I could see that, since poltergeists are supposed to be 
Energy-based. Energy-based, and man, do teens have a lot of things swirling around in their little hormone-addled brains. Do not miss being a teenager. Not for a second. Woof. Uh, So to this day, people claim to hear voices near the old Bell Farm property, especially in the cave nearby. Okay. Uh, You know, floating candlelight has been seen in the middle of empty fields at night. And photography in the area is especially eerie, showing orbs, floating blobs of mist, and humanoid shapes in areas that were completely empty when photos were taken. Super hate that. So there are some people who think that even though the Bell Witch said that she left. Maybe not. For years at a time. I have a book for you when this is all over. Yes, please. I'm All the books. Le- I'm lending you Summer Suns. All the books. It's right up your alley. And it. I. a lot of the plot line of Summer Suns resonates with what you're talking about. Amazing. It's horrifying. Uh, I, it's one of the scariest books I read last year. Fantastic. I'm and here it's for a Kentucky it. author. Hell yeah. Yeah. I'll lend it to you when we're done recording. Yes. Uh, so ultimately, it's unlikely that we'll ever know the full story behind these hauntings. But I think that's what makes these stories so fun. I think the fact that we can discuss theories and and have all of them feel valid mm-hmm. for literally hundreds of years at this point yeah, yeah, is yeah. amazing. And this is why I love what we focus on in this podcast. It's so great. All right. I guess that means it's my turn. It- it's your turn. All right, little mouse, you gonna work for me? Here's the bitch. Here's my notes. Okay, Um. so when we were discussing this, we decided, okay, we're gonna do folklore and mythology. And I'm, I don't know if you've realized this yet, a bit of a literary nerd. No. Just, just a wee bit. So I decided to focus on two figures, both of whom are from more classical mythology, but who also crop up in more contemporary literature. Okay. Because, um, you you know, I've, I'm not going to not talk about books. We've unleashed... <laughs> you Guys, we have unleashed a terrible problem, and it is that if I can relate something back to what I've been reading, I'm going to. Um, no, I'm here for this. So I'm actually going to start with Circe, who is best known from Greek mythology, specifically Homer's Odyssey. Uh, so Circe, our girl here, was the daughter of the sun god Helios and lived on the island of Aea. And that is uh, five vowels in a row with no consonants. Zero. Them. I am very sorry for my pronunciation. Uh, she's also considered to be the aunt of Medea, who is another witch in Greek mythology. Okay. Though, again, you can make the argument that she's not a true witch because the concept of witches hadn't really been invented yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is actually an argument that Madeline Miller takes in her book, Circe. I still need to read that. I've heard Same. it's stunning. Same. I might steal it from my cousin. Um, but anyway, according to some stories, depending on, on which myth- myths you're reading, uh, her mother was Hecate, the goddess of witchcraft. And Circe herself was very powerful in her own right. Uh amongst other things, was noted for her skill with herbs and was very gifted at transformations. Um, And in stories that predate the Odyssey, because she apparently was in much more than that. This is what I'm learning while I'm doing this research. Um, The general gist of her stories would be she would fall in love with someone and pursue them and they would rebuff her, usually because they were in love with someone else. 
And in her despair and sadness, she would either transform them or the object of their affection into something. Sometimes it's an animal, sometimes it's a monster. You know. Ma'am. You got to keep up that variety. Download Tinder and move on. Tinder had not been invented yet, and she lived on an island that I can't pronounce. <laughs> Listen. Um, so, as you might be more familiar with how she's presented in the Odyssey, um, she turns most of Odysseus's men into wild animals when they land on her island. She kind of lures them in, gives them food, which has potions in it, which transform them. And she's all like, I'm not really transforming them. I'm showing you who they really are because she transforms them into a bunch of pigs. Um, <laughs> any hoozles. Amazing. One of the men is able to evade being transformed and he goes back to Odysseus and is like, bro, bro, we got a problem. So I love that this is in both of our stories, the uh, witch in question is like, I'm going to show you who the frauds are. Oh, I, it keeps going. There's okay. a little bit of a theme okay. here. So anyway, um, Odysseus being forewarned also works with the god Hermes, who is a key figure throughout all of the Odyssey, helping Odysseus as he keeps stumbling from one fuck up to another, trying right. to get back home to Penelope. Um, helps Odysseus free his men from her enchantment. He's also able to completely outwit her, avoid getting transformed himself, and in some stories also woos her, sleeps with her, and fathers three children with her before, you know, going back home to his faithful wife, Penelope. Sir. He was a randy-ass bastard. A Greek mythology who wasn't. Yeah. So Circe herself has been the fruit for a lot of art over the centuries, which is one of the things that I thought was really interesting. Uh, there's actually evidence that she was the topic of many plays in ancient Greece that have been lost to time. There are references in other extant plays that indicate that Circe was a figure being written about. Unfortunately, those plays have been lost to time, which is, you know, a tragedy. Uh, she's been the subject of poetry, paintings. Uh, there are at least four operas about Circe. Interesting. Um, and obviously, as we've discussed, there's the, uh, the book Circe by Madeline Miller. And there's also that new translation of the Odyssey that I desperately want to get my hands on by Emily Wilson. Is that the one? Tell me the story of a complicated man. Yes. Yes. Her translation, I just, oh, I want to get my hands on it really I, badly. Every time I think about it, I get like full body chills. I just, oh, it's so good. It's so good. So that's Circe. Um, and I'm, I'm kind of playing it fast and loose and not going anywhere near as deep as I could. But here we are. Uh, so next up, we have Morgan Le Fay. Okay. Because I fucking love Arthuriana. I love Arthurian lore. I would be remiss if I left her out of an opportunity to talk about fictional <laughs> witches of folklore and mythology. Oh my god, I love her so much. It's a problem. Um, now, there's actually a huge variety of Arthurian legends. And they shift characterization around a lot depending on who's telling the story and why. The earliest Arthurian legends are actually very pro-Welsh independence. Arthur is a Welsh figure. Yes. So I kind of love that. Um, Gosh, everyone deserves independence from the English. I'm sorry. They really do. But then you get into what I term the French fanfic from the 13th century. And that's where, you know, Lancelot suddenly becomes this huge, whole, big thing. 
in the stories. Am I remembering incorrectly or is this where... The codes of chivalry start coming in. Yes. You get the the concept of courtly love, which is why Lancelot is, you know, pining over his love for Guinevere. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's horrible that they can't be together because she's married to the king. And it's very tragic. And I fucking hate it. Um, and a lot of my favorite characters suffer from some pretty major character assassination. I will not forgive them for what they did to Sir Kay. Just, anyway, that's that's my rant. I have opinions. Corinne, it has literally been millennia, not millennia, centuries. It's been centuries, hundreds of years. I'm salty about it. Okay, so Morgan Le Fay consistently is characterized as a sorceress throughout all of the stories. Uh, the very first appearance that she makes is in The Life of Merlin, which was written by Geoffrey of Monmouth in the 1100s. Uh, In these early stories, she is a largely benevolent figure. And as time goes on, she becomes more malevolent. Again, the 13th century French have a lot to answer for. Mm -hmm. And you might be asking, Corinne, what makes this lady a witch? No matter what story you're reading, Morgan Le Fay is a noted sorceress whose talents lie in healing and sometimes ensnaring hapless dudes. Uh, In one story, and this is kind of my favorite one, she was sent off to a convent but instead learned sorcery and became Merlin's lover. Which sounds legit, speaking as a former Catholic schoolgirl. Yeah. (laughs) See, this podcast. What? Um, In most of the stories post-Chrétien de Troyes, who is our French writer, uh, Morgan Le Fay was deeply head over heels for Sir Lancelot, who was in turn pining over Queen Guinevere. And in the stories where uh, Morgan Le Fay has a full-blown villain arc, she manages somehow to kidnap Sir Lancelot and keep him captive. She's using all of her magic to try and woo him and win him over so that he will finally love her. Ma'am, love does not come from Stockholm Syndrome. It does not, but this was written by a Frenchman. And I'm going to leave you, audience, to uh, (laughs) decide what Corinne is inferring there. (laughs) So eventually he becomes sick and he's very near death and he's just refusing to become her boy toy. And she doesn't want him to die because she does love him in her own twisted, fucked up way. So she sets him free. Um, anyway, I just have a lot of feelings about Morgan Le Fay <laughs> and a lot about Arthurian legends in general. So like I said, I'm, I'm bringing books into this. Uh, if you are looking for an accessible starting point on getting into Arthuriana, I highly recommend books by Gerald Morris. He wrote several retellings of Arthurian legends. Uh, they are mostly YA and middle grade. But I think they're a great introduction, especially because he goes much further afield. Uh, there is The Savage Damsel and the Dwarf, of which I am very fond. It's the first of his books that I read. Okay. And it's a story about Sir Gaheris. And I can't remember which story it comes from. Specifically, he does talk about them in his author's notes. Uh, and then he also has The Squire, His Knight, and His Lady, which is a retelling of Sir Gawain and the Green Knight. And that has lived rent-free in my head since I was 15 years old. Have you seen the movie? Not fucking yet. Corinne, please go see that movie. I need to. It is. It, you have to understand, and I'm, I'm saying this more yeah. to the audience than to you, because I, I know understand. this is exactly what you want out of the movie. Mm-hmm. It is not paced like a Halloween or Halloween. <laughs> it's not paced like a Halloween movie either. <laughs> it, it's not paced like a 
Hollywood movie. It doesn't have that plot structure. It Mm -hmm. doesn't have that buildup. It is incredibly faithful to the story. And the cinematography is stunning. And Dev Patel is... A beautiful man. A fantastic actor. And a beautiful man. He's an incredibly beautiful man. Do not get me wrong. And there are a couple of scenes that are wonderful fan service. Can't wait. Can't Um, wait. But his, his acting in that is stunning. Oh, I can't wait. Just from the first scene. I've been wanting to see it because do we know which translation they're basing it off of? I don't. Because there's a translation that some accredit to Chaucer um, that is written in Middle English. It's fairly accessible to modern audiences. Obviously, there's the weird spellings and things like right. that because it's Middle English, not anything more contemporary. Um, Tolkien wrote a very well-regarded translation of Sir Gawain and the Green Knight, which I have not yet had an opportunity to read. But I know, like, the man was a medieval scholar. He did a lot of translation work. So, <laughs> when he wasn't inventing his own languages to then translate. <laughs> yep. And then to to pull another book series into yes, your segment. Yes, please, please bring it. Um, I am currently, you know, only a few decades too late, Getting through the Wheel of Time series, and there is a Gawain and a Galad who are brothers. Nice. And I have theories about their ultimate character arcs. Mm, gee, let's let's take a wild guess here. Um, although I do like the fact that their sister Elaine seems to be more Merlin than anything the, else. Than the actual Elaine from the stories? Yeah. Uh, um, everything, but, everything old is new again. I I love it. It's one of those things. You don't have to read classics. You don't have to understand folklore that has made its way into cult, into you know our our public consciousness. But if you do, it makes such it makes things much more fun. It just brings so many layers back into things. And it would be really nice if we could start reading classics from other cultures because, it, you know, the the more you read traditional Japanese folklore, for example, the more modern Japanese horror makes sense. It's so cool. It's- um, it, because, again, we as a culture build on these stories and... You know, we're never we're never going to have a new story again. No, 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 no. But there's new ways to tell those stories. There's new ways to tell the stories. The stories resonate with us as a species for a reason. And oh, I had a train of thought and it is derailing so fast. <sighs> Last night was Seder and we did the four glass minimum and my brain is a little flu. Um, the technical term. Nope, no. Nope. You can you can edit that whole section out because I have no idea what I was gonna say right there. We've all been there. We've all been there. I was building just... up to a great point. I can feel it. <laughs> <sighs> oh yeah. No, and I I'm going to make an effort to pull in more of those contemporary lines as we continue on with this podcast. I found some stuff and some research I was doing for some upcoming content that like 
when I tell you my jaw dropped because of the impact these stories have had on culture, mm-hmm. it's so good. And I can't, I'm dying to tell you and I can't because I need to save it. <laughs> you do need everything to save is, it. Everything is content. <laughs> but yeah, that is, that's what we got for y'all. Yeah, I hope you guys enjoyed this uh, longer than usual episode. Again, I cut my notes in half, so you're welcome. Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't think we have anything else to bring up at this point. Nope. Uh, this does conclude our witchcrafty kind of series. Mm-hmm. Uh, coming up for you guys, just a little little teaser. We are going to be looking at animals in mythology, and I am fucking stoked. Oh, same. It's going to be really fun, guys. I can't wait to share what we've been learning with you all. It's, I I think you guys are going to enjoy it. Uh, So again, thank you so much for listening. Uh, We appreciate you taking your time out of the day. Uh, Sweet dreams and caffeinated nightmares, everybody. Good night. Thank you for listening to Graveyard Coffee Talk. Our theme music is Pretty Little Dead Girls by Sean and McGuire. Copyright 2006 and used with permission. Our cover art is by Kyle Welsh. If you want to keep the chat going, please visit our website at graveyardcoffeetalk.com for transcripts, episode notes, and more. Follow us on Instagram at graveyardcoffeetalkpod or on Twitter at talkgraveyard.